The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF different, visit FVF.law. Hello, friends, and thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. On today's show, we're going to review Austin FC's 2-1 loss against Sporting Kansas City. And we'll also preview the upcoming match against the LA Galaxy and then go over a few other bits of Austin FC news. Uh, first of all, I just want to thank all the new listeners who are tuning in. Uh, we've we've seen that there are new people listening, and so we want to thank you for doing that. Um, we Yeah, it's, it's been really cool over the last couple of months to see the Austin FC community really grow and in part see our listenership grow. And so, yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks for being a part of the community. Thanks for going along this ride with us. We're going to have a lot of fun in the in the future for sure. My name is Landon Cottom. I'm joined as always by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. In addition to fun, we're going to have like overreactions, which I feel like this was the first We'll get into this, but maybe the first like weekend of gigantic fan overreactions <laughs> based upon the results. So um, I think I saw you briefly at Hop Squad, right? Correct. Is that where you watched the game? I did not. I didn't uh, either. I've, I've decided after the Minneapolis trip that I have to learn to pace myself uh, with as far as just like the expenditure of energy that I'm putting out every weekend during this season. Because last weekend, or yeah, last week after the Minnesota game, I was, I went to Minnesota, of course, which added to this, but I was tired until like Thursday. <laughs> and so I was like, I can't do this every weekend. And so this is kind of like an off weekend for me. And so I kind of like this system though, is I went up to Hop Squad, um, talked to people for an hour, had a beer, and then came back home and just watched the, the game at home. So I got to socialize and, and like, uh, satiate my my FOMO a little bit and then come home and have like a relaxing night on the couch where I could actually watch the TV and focus on the game a little bit. And what turned out to be it not that relaxing a night on the couch watching the game. Oh, either. geez. Did- yeah, we'll, we'll get into that later too in, in listener questions. But uh, what, what about you? You watched it at home too, didn't you? Yeah, you I watched the- it at home too. I was up there for a little bit, uh, needed to drop something off at Hop Squad. So I went up there, talked to some people, talked to Adrian Healy. Um, for a yeah. little bit, because he was up I, there with his wife and his son watching the game. I saw him across the room, but I didn't get a chance to say hi. So, that, yeah, that was that was pretty cool to get to hear the voice of Austin FC. I think, you know, it would have been really neat if he would have, like, narrated the match for the people in Hop Squad. But <laughs> apparently he enjoyed a good day off. He told me he was really excited to not be calling a game and to get just get the chance to be a fan. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, all right. Should we jump into game review? Let's do it. Okay. Uh, so just a quick recap of the the highlights of the game. So in the seventh minute, John Gallagher scored a goal. Uh, then in the 67th minute, Alex Ring got a second yellow card and was sent off, um, which led to Austin making a bunch of defensive subs trying to see out the game. It didn't quite work because in the 82nd minute, Ilya Sanchez scored a goal. And then in stoppage time, Gadi Kinda scored the winner. Uh, which ended up in a 2-1 loss for Austin FC. So um, leading up to this game, there was like some of the storylines were um, kind of like the nostalgic ones, which was Beasler returning to Kansas City for the first time since he left there. He had was his first professional team, um, played for them for I think 12 years or something like that, and essentially grew up in that team. Uh, also, Josh Wolf and Davey Arnault on the coaching staff both played there and, and are pretty highly regarded there. I think Wolf is his name is like written on the wall of the stadium there, and Beasler's will will be too at some point, I'm sure. But uh, so that was kind of a cool story, and to see some of the the reactions of the fans. I think I, I didn't see any videos of this, but I heard they gave him a standing ovation when he came out, and uh, he he wrote this open letter to the fans. So that was it was really nice just to see how how well respected he is still in that city, even though he's not there anymore. Um, and then one thing that I was kind of looking out for was just the style of of these two teams. I went back and watched uh, all of the goal chances for and against Kansas City this season, and they looked vulnerable on on like kind of in transition on these counterattacking opportunities which looked good for Austin and also some team like RSL last week passed through them pretty easily, um, which was something I thought would, would look good for Austin FC, 
But then they also looked very good on the counterattack, which is something that Austin FC has struggled with at times. So I kind of thought this would be an end-to-end, like high-tempo game. And I was right for about 67 minutes. Um, it, it, was, it was a stressful game to watch if you had a stake in it. But for a neutral, I think this would have been an awesome game to watch just for how much fun it was. Yeah, it was one of those where like the the number of goals scored, if you you know, kind of before the red card didn't necessarily match sort of the energy and the tempo because at that point it was one oh, but both sides had had a had a ton of chances. Stuver had put in put in a good shift. Uh Austin had opportunities. So uh, you know, it was there and it was it was frenetic, it was high energy um through through most of the match. Yeah, for sure. So uh we mentioned that so yeah, I I think the most useful way to talk about this game. If you look at stats and kind of the overall picture of the game, uh, I just I came up with a system that we're going to use. So it's BC and AD, which is BC is before cards. So before Alex rings red card and then AD after dismissal. So after uh, Alex ring had been sent off the field. So that's how we're going to talk about this game. So in the BC portion of the game, the first 15 minutes, Austin FC looked Great. They looked like they were going to be controlling the game. The first, like maybe the first two or three minutes were a little bit rough, but after that, I felt really good about this game. And then after seven minutes, I felt especially good because that's when John Gallagher scored his goal. Um, it was a, a thing that looked kind of familiar, right? It was Stroud up the right hand side, uh, kind of broke free, plays an early curling ball that seemed to have like heat seeking capabilities. And found Gallagher running towards the back post. Um, his first touch was maybe not super great and sends him really wide. But then his finish is really nice. He slots it under Pulse Camp's leg and just kind of slides it in right where it needed to go. And uh, so I thought he was maybe a little bit lucky on the first watch. But after watching the the replay a few different times for different angles, I actually thought that was a really nice finish by Gallagher. Yeah, and we also very importantly learned this week that it is for sure Gallagher, right? Was exactly. that on the, <laughs> during the week press conference? I think it was somebody from KXA that asked about that, and he said, "I'll answer to anything, but my family really, really cares that that it's Gallagher." So we will be, make sure and get that right yes. uh, from here on out. Yeah. So um, there were a few more dangerous chances um, going into that uh, on both sides. Austin had a couple of chances, but Kansas City had more i think uh brad stuver made a really big save in the 32nd minute uh daniel shallowy got played through on the break and ended up one-on-one with stuver and stuver sticks out a leg for a really nice kick save right at the last second um so looking at some of the stats uh going up to the moment that alex ring got his red card uh austin fc had 53 percent possession um, which you would think a lot of time. And so we had, we scored a goal, had 53% possession. You would think we'd be feeling pretty good, but I, after a, about 15 or 20 minutes, I did not feel super confident that we were going to win this game. What, what did, how did you feel about it? I felt, I felt like it was a, it was, uh, a lot of the replay of Minnesota, you know, for me a little bit where we scored early. Well, we scored early with a Stroud assist. Um, and then we dominated possession. What we do- we had we had more than that, you know, more than our share of possession in the first half. And I mean, I, th- I thought we might hang on. Man, Pochettino got really, really close at what thirty four or so. Uh, like I think it was around there. Ball. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. smacked that ball off the post. And at that point, you know, if that if that had gone in, it would have been a whole different match. But for sure, they did not look as as confident and settled this time as they have uh, the last couple of weeks. Yeah, um, a few other stats. These are, again, BC before card stats. Uh, At the 67-minute mark, it was 15 to 9 total shots in favor of Kansas City. Uh, So they outshot us. Expected goals was 1.7 to about 0.75. And so even though we had scored a goal, their XG was higher than ours. They were just creating more chances. And then they had already had eight corners at that point in time to our two. And so there were... Kansas City was getting chances even before the red card. And so I don't I don't know that it was a given that we were going to see that game through. I think we very well could have. Um, but 
Kansas City still had a decent chance of of winning that one for sure. But that red card comes and it all falls apart. And I don't I didn't ever see us coming back after that happened. So uh Alex Ring got a yellow card fairly early for pulling down Johnny Russell, I believe, in a dangerous area. Uh professional foul. I I had no problem with that one. Um it was gonna be in a really dangerous spot. I, I I'm completely fine with him with him giving up that yellow right there. But after you give up that one, you have to calm down after that and you can't keep playing the same. And as Chris Bills said in his his most recent article, Alex Ring only has one speed. And so um yeah, I don't know. It's he has to be smarter than that. Like it's I don't know, it's frustrating. But anyway, he gets the red card and it just kind of falls apart from there. We ended up making some uh some defensive substitutions going to what looked like a 5-3-1 formation. And at that point, uh, Kansas City had all of the ball, had all of the chances. I think they ended up with 25 total shots um, and led to those. was 13 corners, too, I think, by the time we got to the end of it, if, yeah. if I remember right. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it, was, it, it got ugly from there, and it, there was just no coming back from it. It was essentially holding on for dear life, and we weren't able to even do that. So... I thought it would be, we got a lot of listener questions this week and we kind of made a list of the things we wanted to talk about and the listener questions kind of brought up all of those points and more. So I think we're going to go through most of our impressions through these listener questions. So let's just go ahead and start off with one. So the first one is coming from uh, JC with Mr. JCTX on Twitter. He says, do you blame Ring for the ejection? or Wolf for not subbing him off, or a little of both? It appears our fan base is split on this topic. So what, what did, what's your take there, Jeremiah? I think that's on, I think Ring has to play smarter. I mean, I think that it's on him for me. You know, and Wolf talked about, you know, he's our leader, he's our captain. Uh, you know, he has never had, I don't think he'd ever had a red card before, right? So Never, yeah, 117 MLS games. And I, that shocked me. I didn't know that before. I would have guessed he'd gotten several, but 117 MLS games playing as a defensive midfielder, and he's an aggressive defensive midfielder, and that's his first red card, which is, yeah, I don't know how that happens. Yeah, so I don't think he can put that on Josh, because Josh would have no reason to expect that he was going to heat up and get a red, because he, it had never happened before. So, you know, I think he probably needed to play, he needed to play a little smarter, um, and didn't. And I think that's sort of, I mean, we talked last week about how, uh, incredibly valuable he was and all the things he brought to the team. And this brings up my question, which I think, uh, Kevin Morris helped answer. Like, do we depend too much on ring or, well, I guess two things really on, do we depend too much on the number six and do we t- depend too much specifically on Alex ring? Yeah. So Kevin Morris on, Twitter answered, we're probably too dependent on Ring, yes. Everything runs through him. That's fine when it works or just, you know, when he doesn't get kicked out of the game. But we should have more than one game plan. Um, I I think that's entirely true. I know in the press conference last week, Josh Wolf did mention, he was asked about styles of play and if they would change things up at some point. And he did say, like, we do have essentially hinted like we do have more tricks up our sleeve, but we're a new team. We're trying to really solidify our game model and like how we want to play the game. And so it kind of seemed like right now he's focused on doing that, but we'll need to uh, put in some more um, essentially like elaborate on this a little bit more and add in some some changes to it. And it looks like we're going to have to do that a little sooner than we expected to without ring because everything runs through ring. The offense and the defense is highly dependent on him. So if we just stick with the same system next week against LA, which ring is going to be suspended for, um, we might get to see little Sebastian just step into the six and then play the same way. Or uh, do you, do you think there's a chance that we see something else like see a, a wrinkle, maybe play two, uh, like a double pivot with with two guys dropping a little deeper. What? How do you see that? I don't see anything. I just don't, with the way the system's gone in, I don't see how they really fundamentally change up the way they play. I mean, I think they can like make concessions for people, you know, and maybe shift things around a little bit. But you know, I feel like the style's the style, and especially since it's so early, 
um, you know, we're four weeks in and they're still installing it. And uh, I don't see any way that they fundamentally do anything differently. Do you have a different different take on that? No, I mean, I, I think honestly, like with with little Sebastian, I don't think we lose a ton offensively. He's his passing is good. His ball retention is good. He's young. He's going to make mistakes. Uh, but I think offensively, he's still a, a very competent player. Defensively, though, he's he's a little bit of that uh, that like will trap Jackson Yule style six where he's all pass, but not a ton of that bite in the defense. And so that's something that maybe concerns me a little bit. But I think it's also something that just a little variation where if if it's whoever it is, Pereira or Fagundes, maybe just shifts back and stays a little bit deeper at times until the attack is on. And that way he has a little bit more cover there. Um, I could, if I had to put money on it, that would be my guess is that you just slot in Burhalter in at the six and play essentially the same, the same style. Uh, I think Wolf is playing the long game here and isn't going to be too reactionary to this and will kind of just stick to his guns and, and let that develop more and let, let just see what Burhalter can actually do and see if he can, is, is actually a viable option at that six spot. Yeah. We talked about, you talked about this a little bit, but for those that maybe don't follow it this closely. So the reason, you know, Rink picks up the red card and so he's suspended for a week. Do you feel like that's too harsh of a, I mean, you're basically, you could, you're effectively taking like two games away from him at that point. You I mean, know, with the red, I mean, it seems like a pretty severe penalty to me. If it's a straight red, the penalty is more severe. So, I mean, I understand why it's there. You want to dis like disincentivize people, do, like making these professional fouls essentially. And so, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't. I'm not. I don't feel super strongly for or against it. But uh, Wolf mentioned in the press conference afterwards, like he acted like he didn't wasn't sure that it should even be a card. And it absolutely should have been a card. Like there, no question in my mind. If if not for the the single foul, just for uh, persistent infringement, just he had made a few other fouls before. One of which almost definitely should have been a second yellow anyway. And so I have no problem with him getting a card there. It was like from a fairness standpoint, I think he completely deserved it. And if I remember right, the the official had talked to him too, right? I mean, maybe like in, in a few thirty minutes before seconds that, like, yeah. before, it was like almost immediately before, and then he goes and does like did not need to make that challenge. Like, sure, pressure him, but you don't need to run through a guy in that situation. I don't, I don't understand what he was thinking. Um, Kevin Morris, while we're on the topic of Kevin, Kevin Morris, everyone should follow Kevin Morris. He's a really smart guy and like a fun Twitter follow uh, for. United States national team uh, takes and, and Austin FC takes. Um, but he had another point, which he's, he thought that Cecilio and Pochettino shot a little bit too much from distance. They had in the first half, especially they had a few opportunities where they shot from distance and that maybe should have made another pass and could have developed a more dangerous play. Um, I didn't really thought of that. I think I was just like excited to see that they were getting shots off, but after on my rewatch, I noticed that there were a few times where there was maybe something else a little bit more dangerous that could have been on if you just worked the ball a little bit more. Um, the exception is Pochettino's crossbar in the 34th minute. I had no problem with that one. Uh, we know what he can do from that distance based on what we saw him do on those free kicks in preseason. And nobody stepped to him. Nobody pressured him. So on that one, let it rip. I'm fine with that. But there was another one that he shot and then a couple that Cecilio took that, um, yeah, maybe if he had made one more extra pass, it would have opened up something a, a little more higher percentage. Um, but yeah, that's that's a point that I hadn't noticed until Kevin pointed it out. All right, on to the next question. This is a another Jeremiah Bentley question, <laughs> but I think a lot of people are asking it, is to park the bus or to not park the bus when you're a man down? Um, what is what, what is your opinion there? Oh, I think a man down. You don't have a choice. I was surprised by this post-game comment from Wolf um, who said that they had not practiced with 10 men. Now, you, you would think with a full preseason, they, they would have... Maybe it's maybe it's just hard to simulate. I don't know. But you'd think they would have somehow worked in that because that definitely put them in a disadvantage. Um, and I don't think the the back line did not... The three center backs did not, did not look all that connected 
um, which kind of uh, amplified the negative effect of Ring being out when they did it. But um, were you surprised by that? And and what what have you seen online in the Twitter reactions or overreactions to I, how they decided to play? So I've seen a lot of hot takes on Twitter, and I don't think I saw any that like, I, not many that were like super hot takes that were about this specific point in the moment I was like, okay, yeah, this is, I guess this is what you have to do. But after seeing how it turned out and also just like with how much time was left on the clock, it, I almost feel like maybe Wolf overreacted a little bit and maybe should have done like a, cause I think immediately after the card, they kind of shaped up in like a four, four, one, and then not too long after that, they made some substitutions and moved to that 5-3-1. They brought on an extra center back and took off um, took off Gallagher and Rodney was playing striker. And they had three midfielders behind them and then five across the back behind them. And there was just any time that we stopped the ball or intercepted the ball, there was just nowhere to go with it. Nobody, yeah, nobody, yeah, nobody was going forward. Yeah, it was at 71, which would be... Four minutes after that is when Cascante came on for Cecilio. Yeah, and so that ended up being 26 minutes that they had to play and keep Kansas City from scoring with absolutely no offensive options happening because of the shape and because of the just like the arrangement of the numbers, essentially. And so in hindsight, I think maybe it would have been smarter to stick with that 4-4-1 a little bit longer and see if you could still work the ball a little bit and like actually get some offensive action, just if nothing else to kill the clock a little bit, even if you didn't think it was going to lead to any, any real offensive chances just to have the ball for a little bit and give your, yourself a, a break from just the endless defending that ended up happening. So uh, again, hindsight's twenty twenty, um, and that, that may have not worked either, but I think maybe so far, we've essentially seen Wolf do pretty much everything right. Um, I don't think there's much you can criticize him on. I think this game, there's maybe a few things he did that you could criticize him on. Um, but at the same time, I'm not, I'm also not like sounding alarm bells here. I think Josh Wolf is a good coach. I think he's going to be a very good coach. I think this is a learning a learning moment for him. I, um, as you mentioned, not having practice with ten men. I, I mean, yeah, you'd think they would have done that at least a little bit by now. Um, I'm not super annoyed by that. If if we like get to July and he said that, yo, yeah, we've still not practiced playing down a man. I think that's a different thing. But they've played four games now. Um, I think he's been just focusing on trying to get this system in play and again, playing the long game. Uh, but yeah, you'd think give like half a practice session to it or something, but, um, but yeah, I know I'm, I'm not super annoyed by that. I think it's something that they need to get to at some point. And if, if it had been later in the season and he said that I would have taken a little more offense to it, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, again, a, a good learning moment for the players and for Wolf. Um, for sure. So let's go to the next question here. Uh, Joel Pinkney says, outside the goal, I felt that Gallagher was largely absent from this game, though that seems to be more of a structural piece of how we're using our strikers than any issue with how he played the position. Do you think he keeps that spot going forward? So uh, on the point of Gallagher being largely absent, last on last week's show, we, we brought up uh, on – MLSsoccer.com, they have this new, like, pretty cool, like, stats function where you can bring up these uh, passing networks and everything. And the game against uh, against Minnesota, it was this beautiful, like, perfectly symmetrical diamond-looking thing with all these passes going everywhere. And um, this is not a very good audio feature, but I have in our show notes this week's. And there's one little line that's going to Gallagher coming from Stroud and there's no other passes coming from or to anywhere else uh, except for that one spot. And so, yeah, I think that's, um, I think Joel 
hit the hit the nail right on the head there that there he was not very involved in the play and I think we had a difficult time getting the ball to our forwards and when we did do it it was either on uh like we would press and turn it over and they would get a chance up front or it was a pretty direct ball either up uh, most of the time up the right to Stroud and he got the one assist for the goal, but there was several other times where it led to nothing and just turned it over to Kansas City, who then broke back on us and were more dangerous than we ever were. So, uh, yeah, I, th- I think that's completely true that Gallagher wasn't really that involved. And um, to piggyback off that one, uh, Austin FC UK, so Stephen, who runs that account, uh, the UK-based Austin FC account there, um, he says... Without the red card, I suspected Husin may have come off the bench for the last 30, a similar role to what Gallagher played the first three games. Do you think uh, we see that at L.A.? So that's something else that that I completely agree with. With The the game had taken on such a, a frenetic pace. It was unsustainable. Something was going to break and somebody was going to start scoring goals. I think bringing on Husin around uh, – right around where ring ended up getting the card could have slowed the game down a little bit. We were having a hard time possessing the ball in our attacking half at that point. Um, I think that could have slowed it down, gotten some more touches in the midfield and allowed us to possess a little more meaningfully um, as opposed to just sprinting back and forth down the field all the time, but we didn't get a chance to do that. Um, Is, do you think that that's something that Wolf would have looked to do? I, th- I think it makes sense. And that brings up the Gallagher versus Hooson debate as far as who's going to start. And we've talked about this a lot on Twitter, on this show, on Reddit, in Slack, everywhere. I mean, I don't love the idea of having a nine that plays the way that Hooson does, where he spends all his time sort of backwards and connecting with the midfield and not being a target. But certainly their shape and their passing patterns and all those other things look a lot more solid when he's in. Um, you know, if you can compare compare just the chart you were talking about when the first 60 um, for last week versus this week. So, you know, there's, some, there's something to it. Like, I, you know, Josh Wolf knows more about coaching soccer than I do. So, I, I you know, I think I think we, I could easily see us going back to Houston, particularly given missing ring, that we need that stability and that connection and that's something that Gallagher hasn't provided. Yeah, I, I think it's a horses for courses scenario. It depends on what Wolf is looking to do. Um, and I think the, like kind of that one, two punch could be useful if, if we don't get a red card and Husin gets the chance to come in and slow the game down a little bit. And instead of playing so direct and play a, a bit more of that possession game, then that could have been enough to kill the game off there and, and end up winning or at least getting a draw. But, um, I could see it going both ways, like slow play it to start with Husin when play possession and then bring Gallagher off to to bring that spark of energy or vice versa, try to punch him in the mouth immediately and get an early goal and then try to kill it off with possession later on and bring Houston into the game. So yeah, I I think it really just depends on what Wolf is looking to do because you, depending on which one of those guys is playing, it's going to be a different game. You can't play the same game with one or the other in there. It's going to be different. Well, and the other the other thing we've seen floated around the internet is the possibility of playing neither of them and instead playing Diego Fagundes at the false nine. And I feel like that's something you have a strong opinion on, or, or at least I read it on Twitter. So you should share that for those that maybe don't follow along with that. I this is a thing that I've seen in in uh, various uh, group chats, people wanting to just like throw any player in because they're all good and we want to get them all on this field at the same time. I don't think that's a very good idea at all. Um, but first of all, what, where do you stand on this, on this idea? I'm trying to remember that we're only four games into the season. Like, you know, I was, <laughs> I'm trying not to be like super overreaction guy. And it's a little bit hard because we only have four games worth of experience. And so I think it's just natural that we want to attribute more value to every single thing thing that we see then it really deserves because it is a long season and we need to play the long game and i feel like so like i've obviously very super very you know vocally been super frustrated by Houston, but i also feel like just scrapping both those guys is sort of a 
last ditch sort of like throw the kitchen sink at everything as something's wrong kind of attack. And I don't think we're there yet. You know, yeah, we're two and two and we're in eighth place right now and we're fine. Yeah, it, it I agree with that. It, it would feel a little bit desperate, but also I just don't think Fagundes would be that good at it. Like if you if what you want a false nine to do is to be able to hold up and play make and he can maybe do a little bit of the playmaking part, but he's not going to hold up the ball, really. He's If you look back to the goal against uh, Minnesota, that Danny Houston was the one who, who kind of sprung that play. Diego Fagundes does not hold that ball up against a six foot four center back on his back. Diego Fagundes is not going to hold that ball up and turn and make that play. He might make a different kind of play, but it's not going to be that play. And then... As far as kind of the explosiveness, I don't know that he has that same explosiveness that Gallagher does. And so I think you're taking the most dangerous attributes of the two guys that we do have and lessening them in what you in, in putting Fagundes in that spot. I don't want people to think I'm saying I don't think Fagundes is good. I just don't think he would be good in that role. I think he's done a, re- a really good job in the role he is playing. And. I think people see like, oh, well, Pereira has to sit out or someone has to sit out in that midfield three. Again, this is a marathon, not a sprint. This is a long season. All three of those guys, Pochettino and Fagundes and Pereira, they're all going to get a lot of minutes this season. And so don't don't weep for Daniel Pereira. He is going to play this year. And I'll be happy to see him play because I love that kid. But um, he's going to get minutes. Don't worry about him. And I think we should stick to these positions and just work on things and get better at things. And then come the next transfer window, if we feel that one of those spots isn't strong enough, I think that's when you pull that ripcord and make drastic changes by signing a DP, signing another TAM player, whatever it is in one of those spots. But I think panicking now and throwing players into positions that they've never played, I don't, I don't think that's the option. And one of the things that I think about, uh, like we talk about the 11 as if it's like a static thing that happens every time. And I wonder if that's a little bit of, you know, the, uh, like we all play too much FIFA and too exactly, much fantasy yeah. and you play too much fantasy where you just like find your best 11 players. They play every single match all the yeah. time and you don't, you don't manage load or anything like that. And it's taking that sort of video game life and applying it to reality. I think something gets lost. Yeah. I think it's absolutely a case of FIFA brain where this is the starting 11. It's like, no, we need a starting 16 essentially like we need more than that and they're all going to play they're all going to get a lot of minutes um i did see somebody throw out the idea of putting cecilio in at a false nine that is something that i'm not a super strong proponent for but i understand and think it could be effective if done correctly um i yeah again i'm still not super high on it but you could maybe then put in some you could maybe put gallagher on that left wing and that still gives you that that speed to stretch in behind. Uh, Mane, you could put there. From what we've seen from Mane, I wouldn't be super excited with that. I think he's a good burst of energy off the bench, but he hasn't impressed me enough to make me feel super comfortable with him as a starter at this point. But um, yeah, that, that's something I would be uh, okay with and interested to see is, is trying to seal you out at that false nine. But my preference would kind of be stick with what we're doing and and just keep developing what, what Wolf was trying to do. Yeah, we're just a few weeks out from the June transfer window if it doesn't. And the Gallagher point's interesting because he, again, this week did a presser, and he seems to think of himself as a wing. Oh, yeah. Like that, that's his natural home. You know, and he said that, I think he's been on maybe two of them and really talked about being a wing and training with the wings, and uh, it's just he, he brings it up a lot. Yeah, yeah, he definitely sees himself as a winger, and he's like, I'll play striker if you need me to, yeah. but and I'll do my best, but that's not what i do really <laughs> yeah i think stroud even talked about it uh somebody asked him a question asked stroud a question about gallagher when stroud was on this week and he he he, he mentioned that they sort of a little bit play the same position because they're both pretty flexible as as wingers yeah so who do you think we're gonna see uh starting at the nine against la galaxy i think it'll be houston again i think that makes sense um a team that's as confident we'll, we'll talk about the, the galaxy more in a little bit but yeah I I I think that would be the smart play and save Gallagher in for that uh that burst off the bench at about the 60 or 70 minute mark. All right, next question is from Brian Banks. 
He says, uh, there, there's a few questions in here, but I think there's a couple of them that we're going to key in on and talk about. So he says, we've never won a game in the Verde and Black kits. Is it time to retire them? <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. I mean, it's a sample size of, of one and it's 100% bad results. Yeah, we're never wearing it again. Uh, and then he has a couple of other interesting questions. Over under 4.5 points during the rest of this road trip. And then another one is, would you rather us lose the next four matches but win the home opener 10-0 or grab seven points from the next four matches and lose the Q2 opener 10-0? So just quickly, let's answer that last one. That's an interesting one. Um, <laughs> oh, I would be there for the Q2 opener, so I'm going to have to... I'm going to have to go with uh, winning the home opener 10-0, even though in in like the long-term scheme of things, it's fewer total points. But, man, you talk about a bad start to opening the stadium to to have that loss. I will take the big win in person in front of all the fans. I think I'd do the same. I think I'd do the same. Um, partially, so going back to the, the over-under on four and a half points for the rest of the road trip. So we have four more games on this road trip before that home opener. And none of them are going to be easy games. And so 4.5 points is actually like, that's a tough one. Would be good. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, so we have LA Galaxy. Then we have Nashville. Uh, Nashville's look decent this season. They've, they've done a good job of building off of the success they had at the end of the season last year. Then Seattle, who is absolutely flying. They look fantastic this season. And then Kansas City, again, who we already know has our number. Like we could beat them, but it's, they they know how to play against us and they know what worked this time. So um what what's what are you taking, Jeremiah? Over under. That's essentially a win and two draws would get us the over. I feel good with four. I feel like four would be successful. So that would definitely go under. Yeah. I feel like you have to win either Nashville or sporting KC and then pull out a draw somewhere else. And that that feels like a pretty good accomplishment. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. I would, I would, I mean, I want more than four, but I would think I would be happy with four coming out of these last four games on the road. Uh, all right. So <laughs> we talked about the, the relaxing game on the couch that I was looking for that didn't actually quite happen. So this next question actually comes from my wife, Ashley. Um, Ashley has been a real trooper over the last three years. She is not a soccer fan. But she has been extremely supportive of me spending all of my free time doing soccer stuff. And now that the team exists and like we got to go to a game and she's starting to learn about the players, she's actually getting into it and has really enjoyed the games. But the game on on Sunday, she was just like, is it always like this? And so her question is, uh, is soccer always as stressful as that game? How do longtime fans live with this kind of pressure? What have I signed up for? <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I don't know. Is it, does it get better? Are they always this stressful? <laughs> I mean, they're always as stressful unless you're blowing somebody out or you've given up. So I think we should hope that it's going to be this stressful for us uh, for a while. You know, I don't, I mean, I think if it's something you're passionate about, there's all the emotions that come with it. I think get wrapped up in it as part of it. Yeah, I and I think the way that this game played especially made it super tense. And then those last 25 minutes where we were just like hanging on for dear life and it was corner after corner and shot after shot. I think that was especially stressful. The Minnesota game was like tense. The second half was tense, trying not to give it up, but it was a slower game. Um, we weren't just essentially like trading punches in the face with the other team. And so... Yeah, I don't think they're all going to be that stressful, but a lot of them will be. <laughs> all right, is there any other uh, any other questions or topics we wanted to hit before we move on? No, let's just maybe hit uh, sort of some overall takeaways uh, out out of uh, this match, and then what this match looks like in the context of having played uh, having played four now and going looking into the galaxy. So, what's your like big number one takeaway? Um, I think one of them is I think maybe fans got like a little bit too confident over the last two games. <laughs> we were maybe riding a little bit too high and we're like, to quote Chris Wellhouse and Austin FC is the greatest team in the world. I think too many people were drinking that Kool-Aid a little bit. And this Sporting Kansas City game kind of showed us like, 
oh yeah, we're we're new, we're a, a brand new team. There's going to be bumps in the road. We're going to have to figure out how to deal with those. But things like this are going to happen again. Uh, and I think that's something that really stood out to me for this one. Yeah, um, for me, I think it was for me, I think it was just um, this could either be like a cause for alarm that maybe we're completely wrong, or this is just like a learning opportunity. And you know, Josh gets a little learns out of this, like how to run the system a little differently. I don't know that Ring's ever going to learn to like not go balls in the wall like 100% <laughs> of the time because that's just how he plays. But, you know, maybe he learns to, I don't know, slow down a little bit and not take a foul. Um, yeah. But I think that's probably the biggest takeaway for me is like this this game could mean a lot of things and hopefully we make, make a positive out of it. Yeah, for sure. Lots of learning opportunities, lots of little things that I'm, I'm sure Wolf will take away as, as a new manager, but then also little things that the players will take away and that Wolf will take his teaching moments in, in upcoming training, uh, to really kind of reemphasize and, and learn from and, and implement some of these things, things that, that they've learned. So, uh, yeah, hopefully it all turns into a positive. But one right. thing he, he was obviously doing a lot of co- teaching and coaching during the game. Did you watch him on the, on the press conference? Like <laughs> yeah. he had no voice left. So it clearly was, he had he communicated a lot. Oh, it sounded so painful to hear him talk, but uh, I, in the press, I, I, I really appreciated how candid he has been. I know that we gave him a lot of, a lot of crap before the season started about him never actually answering questions. But since the season started, he's actually been pretty candid and, and has given some, some really insightful and like open answers about a lot of things. And so I've really appreciated that from him. And, and he did that after the game too. He, he admitted some spots where he, he maybe made some mistakes and didn't do it the right way. And so I think he's looking at this as a learning opportunity. And I think that's just kind of the, the kind of person he is. You, you hear about him being a really good teacher and to be a good teacher, you have to be a good learner as well. And so I, I think that's definitely the mindset that he's taking towards it. All right, let's jump into a few little points of other Austin FC news. So there's been a couple of schedule changes. Do you want to tell us about those, Jeremiah? Yeah. And one, one of these got changed twice uh, in the, in the week between the show, but the first one is that the May, 29th Seattle match has moved back a day to May 30th. Uh, and I wrote in here that that's our eighth national broadcast, but I think we might actually have more. I feel like we're getting a lot of national broadcasts, but that's that Seattle match is a day back. Um, Sporting KC, which was originally in July, I believe, was originally moved to June 12th in the evening, and it's now June 12th at 2 p.m., so I believe that also makes it um, a national broadcast. It, was that uh, actually announced, or are we just guessing that? Which one? The Sporting Kansas City one. The Sporting Kansas City one's announced. The time is okay. not like like where it's going to be, but yeah, they they have they moved it and announced the time. And it's uh, but I I think we're just assuming it's because of they're going to put it on a national TV broadcast. Right. But I don't know if they've actually told us that. <laughs> yeah, we don't know that part for sure. That's true. That's what that's what we're assuming. Um, and I believe we moved it for Gold Cup, which they just announced because of what was going on in in Kansas City. And then what that does leave is it leaves us not seven straight matches on the road, but eight straight matches on the road. But I think earlier Josh had been talking about eight and people thought he was just off. So maybe he knew that all along. I'm sure it's been in the works for a while and that he just kind of forgot that he wasn't supposed to be talking about it, but I don't think I picked that up. So, (laughs) um, all right. And then we also have, uh, the United States women's national team is going to be coming to Austin, which is super exciting. That's, uh, June 16th. Versus Nigeria, um, Megan Rapino appeared in the press conference to talk about it, which is super cool. Uh, I think this is going to be the first the first time a United States national team has played in Austin, right? Right, it is. Well, and it's so, and it also makes this the very first match at Q two, correct? And I saw a little bit of people complaining on Reddit or Twitter about it, which I think is dumb. Do you have a, Do you have an opinion on that? Um, I mean, I get kind of the like the novelty of that first game, but I imagine Austin FC will be very happy to kind of have that dress rehearsal for a moment when I'm sure it's going to be a lot of Austin FC fans at that game, but there's going to be people who maybe are coming in from other places coming from all over Texas to see that game because it's the the women's national team, which is a big draw. Um, And so they're maybe not going to have the expectations or it's not necessarily going to be an Austin FC branded experience. 
And so I imagine they'll be happy to have kind of that dress rehearsal before bringing in people for that first MLS game with Austin FC playing. So, um, I, yeah, I could see it being like a bit more excited, exciting if the very first thing that ever happened there was an Austin FC match, but I also get it. And maybe if there are any kinks to be worked out, it'll happen during that game. And then for that first game on June 19th with Austin FC, everything will be worked out and it'll be a smoother process for everybody. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree with that. I just think if you have the chance to get the U.S. women's team in your building, you bring them into your building. You don't Absolutely. worry about it. whether whether that's. And I thought it was so Rapino was good. She talked about she talked about breakfast tacos. She talked about Austin. I feel like she kind of threw down a challenge a little bit uh, about NWSL. And she I, really I did. <laughs> I don't have it in front of me. Can you maybe paraphrase what she said about uh, said about that? Um, she essentially like I think someone asked like what can like what can the community do to support. Uh, an NWSL team coming here. And she essentially said like, tell pre-court, he's the one who can do it, put pressure on him to do it. <laughs> and so she essentially said, ball's in your court. I think it, it would be great here. So all you have to do is do it. Um, we don't have any details about tickets on that. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. We don't know whether, uh, I think every season ticket holder is probably poured through their agreement to see whether there's any early access opportunities and I read the I read the one from my company's tickets, and it's like we will try, but not guarantee to yeah. give you some kind of special privilege. It was really non-committal, I so wouldn't, I wouldn't expect anything. Yeah, same. I was gonna say I don't. I wouldn't hold your breath if you're hoping that being an Austin FC season ticket holder is going to get you any type of access or discount or anything for these tickets. I imagine these will be handled completely separately, um, which is. Again, a little bit of a bummer if you're a season ticket holder, but also it's it's an opportunity to get more people in there and exposed to the Austin FC brand and also just more people seeing the women's national team. So again, I get it. Um, it would be cool if they just handed us tickets and we got to go sit in our normal seats and everything, but that's not that's not how the world works. <laughs> yeah, I think probably your best bet is to either be a member of American Outlaws or like U.S. soccer has some kind of like official fan club thing. I'm, I'm guessing that's where the opportunities to like buy in early ahead of the general public are going to come from. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I see in the show notes here, you have written queso versus craft beer. And I don't really know what this means. <laughs> oh, well, I have an opinion on that. Um, and I know we don't talk a lot about sort of stadium stuff and food options and, and those things. But so uh, you remember we when they announced all the restaurants, there was like a whole, I believe there's a section called the queso fountain. Or there's like a food stand or something called the queso fountain where they're going to have like artisan queso options. And then I know this week that uh, HEB and Austin FC announced that they're going to come out with the first annual queso cup, uh, which if you like uh, give them the winning, you give them a winning recipe that uh, like a panel of judges make, you win like a $500 HEB gift card and all kinds of stuff like that. And I just, I wish we paid as much attention to craft beer as we do to queso. I guess this, this is my message to the club. Like I read about queso stuff all the time and I haven't heard anything about like local craft beer. So yeah, yeah, let's, let's, let's get some, let's get more updates on beer and a little bit fewer updates on queso. Not that we don't love queso, but it really goes well with beer. And I want to know more about the beer situation. I, with some of the food stuff that's been coming into the stadium, I'm pretty optimistic about beer options now. Like if they can find a way to get Valentina's, into the stadium they can find a way to get like austin beer works into the stadium like it's not that different of a business really as far as like the volume that they do you would think like maybe if a business doesn't do enough volume it's hard to get them into the stadium but if a like some of the restaurants that they're pulling in if they can make that work they can make some of these smaller craft breweries work even if it's just for like a rotating handful of taps that are that are kind of spread around certain spots of the stadium yeah, there should be plenty of opportunities for that. I, I did. I got a stadium tour a couple of weeks ago, and I got to say, like the South End, which is the supporters' end, um, they've done a really good job of giving that a real local feel in terms of restaurants. There's like these like South Congress kind of murals, and I think that's where you know, Valentina's is in the corner in the supporters, like in the supporters bar area. But that's where like Casa Chapala and some of the other like smaller local um, food places are. So hopefully, somewhere around there, exactly, or a few taps close to supporters where we can find some local craft beer too. Jeremiah, how many times have you been in the stadium now? Um, I don't know, half a dozen maybe. I've been in zero times. And I know that there's been a couple of times where I could have gone with like media stuff and just wasn't available to. So that's partly on me, but we found out that maybe a few people from the front office listen to this show occasionally. 
And so if there's any way that y'all can get me in the stadium, please, please reach out and I'll, I'll, I'll be happy to, to go at midnight or, or do whatever needs to happen for it to, to make it convenient for you. But I want to go into the stadium. <laughs> Landon, Landon will do whatever it takes. And I will be happy to go again, despite the fact that I have, you know, I went just two weeks ago because every time, every time we go, stuff changes. And one of the things that's really fun um, that, we, that we saw in the Verde store too uh, is there like pictures of our friends all around? Yeah. Like from ads and stuff like that. There's like, you know, on the wall in the Verde store, but then even in the stadium where they have some artwork and stuff, they've got several pictures of the supporters, which is really cool to see. It's been become a tradition. I've seen lots of, lots of people posting pictures with San Rigo as, as it's been lovingly called, but there's a picture of Rigo Rodriguez real big on the wall and people are taking photos of it with them and calling it San Rigo. <laughs> Yeah, I love it. Well, you ready to take a little break and then maybe talk LA Galaxy? Let's do it. We'll be back in just a second. Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FVF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. So we were on the FVF website uh, just now searching searching to learn a little bit more about our partners. And one of the things that I found uh, that, re- that I really liked were the priorities of the firm. And they are compassion, education, advocacy, and transparency. So like, why wouldn't you want to work with a law firm that values those things? Absolutely. I can imagine that's not the case for, for, for other folks. So you can go to FVF.law to find out more about what makes FVF different and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's FVF.law. Okay, and we are back. Jeremiah, let's talk about the LA Galaxy. So uh, tell us a little bit about how they did in 2020. Yeah, they did not have a very great 2020. Uh, this, <laughs> and I was thinking this probably be, probably be one of the last times that we spend a lot of time talking about last year in the offseason now that we're starting to build up this year's results. And I, I think one thing that we've learned is like it is really hard to predict things from year to year. For example, what everybody thought about Minnesota United, but I'll, I'll still get into a little bit about LA. You know, traditionally they're the league's most successful club, uh, five titles, but they have missed the playoffs three of the last four years. Uh, in 2020, they had high expectations for the off season with the addition of Chicharito, which, if you listen to a previous version of this podcast, I said would be the best player in the league last year. <laughs> um, so maybe I think I think it was on a show where we made a lot of bad predictions with Phil. Uh, so they did not pan out they did not make it out of the group stage the mls is back they finished 10th in the west uh chicharito chicharito ended up playing in 12 and starting seven of the 22 total matches they played so he's a bit banged up and he scored only two goals so 2020 basically could not have gone worse for them and in the offseason um they got rid of their coach and went through went through a bunch of changes like for for you what were the what were the biggest differences that you've seen between what we saw last year and kind of what, what we expect out of them coming into this year? I think honestly, the coach is the biggest one. Um, they essentially between the Zlatan era and the Chicharito era, they didn't really change what they were doing. They were still just like lobbing in crosses to Chicharito. Who's like five foot nine or something like that. And it's not his game. And they were essentially not, I mean, Chicharito is not this this center forward who's going to just step into any game and make a difference. He needs to be in a, a certain kind of style, and I think that's been proven with Greg Vanny stepping in, and Chicharito has six goals in three games or four games or whatever it is. So um, I think that's one of the big ones. I think uh, they lost uh, Christian Pavone, um, was on loan, and they were trying to make a deal permanent with uh, – was it Boca that he was at? I can't remember what yeah, team Boca he was at. Yeah, Boca Juniors, yeah. Um, those were kind of stalled, but then he ended up having a, like a pretty serious rape allegation against him in Argentina. And I think LA Galaxy just kind of cut their losses there and said, okay, never mind, we're not interested anymore. Um, but they brought in uh, Grand Seer to kind of be his replacement. Um, and so, yeah, they've brought in quite a few new players, but as far as the the main starting 11 it's it's still a lot of the same faces from last year but it i think the difference is just having a bit more of a style that suits the players that they do have and then having a 
a fit and confident Chicharito on the team. And then also I, Jonathan Dos Santos hasn't been healthy for a long time. And he lo- he's looks like, looks like he's back in really good form again too. So um, again, I think they're maybe not up to their full strength, which maybe it's a good thing we're playing them earlier in the season. I think they're still kind of settling into a style, but, uh, but they have been very confident uh, and, and have done a lot offensively. Uh, but it looks like I think they've scored eight goals and have allowed eight goals in these first four matches. So the defense has not necessarily gotten that much better. Um, so there's still opportunities for Austin, but I think we are going to have to be careful while we're defending for sure. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And if you really want to dig into the galaxy, I think it was allocation disorder over the weekend. Paul and Sam talked about it, and there's a good Sam. I think it was, I don't, I don't remember who wrote it. Now, was it Paul or Sam that wrote the article? Sort I think of about it was the, Sam. Sam that wrote wrote the article about the culture, um, which is a like a buzzword that people use a lot, but really talked about exactly how Vanny was really trying to connect everything through the culture, and it's even stuff like he brought in almost all the coaches from Toronto and like the sports science and performance department. He's really trying to to make real connections between the academy players and the first team and just really, um, I mean, I think that there's like the, all the makings of a strong build there. It's just really early in it. And so I think that's where we're fortunate, you know, now to be playing them five games in and not not later in the year where Fanny's had the chance to really make this overhaul. So that gives me, gives me some hope. Um, so I found this Matt Doyle article. I think it was off MLSsoccer.com. Um that says the Galaxy don't really have a tactical identity yet, uh, though I'm sure with Greg Vanny in charge, they would aim to be a possession team. Uh, talked about what they have done is max out the effortometer every week while partially excising the catastrophic defensive errors that have plagued them for years, and they have Chicharito. So I think that's probably the best summary um, of what they're doing what they're doing so far and what we can expect out of them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's going be, gonna to be a tough one, but not an impossible one. So Austin FC... Could go in and get a result out of this, and let's hope they do. Uh, anything else before we wrap up, Jeremiah? Well, I have I have one question because this is something we haven't had to deal with yet. So Chicharito's had six goals, and it's actually six goals and four now, right? So, I mean, how do you think like we face how how do we face up against a striker with just a really hot hand? I mean, it's something we haven't we haven't seen anybody on a run, and it seems like that might be a big threat uh, in our in our style of play. I don't. I mean, we again like on the last show. I talked about like, what are they going to do to stop Bevella Reynoso? And the answer is nothing. We're going to do what we do and just trust in our system. So I kind of expect more of that. And it also, if, if the midfield can be more solid defensively, like they were in the previous two games, as opposed to the Kansas city game, um, like if the midfield can't keep the ball, they can't give the ball to, to Chicharito. And so I think that's really going to be the focus is not let them get the ball to him in the first place. Yeah, I guess I think that makes sense. I just, I think he will convert some of those, some of those goals that, that others have not. Um, that's true, and some of the yeah. things it's, you know, some of the, like Stuver had that great kick save, you know, I can see Chicharito finding a way to get that one past him just from sort of his veteran guile and wiliness. Yeah. Austin has been a little bit, uh, fortunate in the lack of finishing from other teams so far. So I think that's exactly right. That Chicharito with the form he's on right now is not going to miss those. Uh, and also talking about the, the midfield, putting in a good defensive effort, Alex ring, like we said before, is not going to be there. So they're going to have to do it without him. And uh, somebody's going to have to step up, whether that's little Sebastian or Danny Pereira or what, whatever route Wolf decides to go, it's going to be, a lot more difficult without ring there. Yeah. I feel like playing Pereira back will be a real key in this one, maybe in a way that it has not been in any, any game so far. Yeah. We'll have to wait and see, I guess before we finish up, we'd like to remind you to rate review and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. It's going to help us grow our audience. If you like the show, tell a friend, uh, let someone know. And then, once again, we're still doing our donations to the Central Texas Food Bank. So if you leave us a review, let us know. Uh, we'll make a $5 donation to the food bank and then send you some stickers. 
people who have already let us know you've done that. I promise we will get those stickers in the mail soon. <laughs> I just need to take some time to do it, but we will get them sent out soon. Yeah, I had a, I told uh, somebody, I was like, uh, my boys are about to have a little uh, arts and crafts project <laughs> where we're going to going to stuff some stickers and lick some envelopes but yes yeah. we, we will get that done for sure <laughs> all right and uh, as always come find us on twitter we've got lots of awesome questions keep that coming we love it um even if we can't answer them on the show we'll try to to keep the the conversation going and and uh talk some soccer with you guys also visit the striker texas website jeremiah do you have any articles you want to suggest well, first, I want to say I really appreciate uh, all the work Chris has been putting in um, out on the road and, uh, you know, going to every match and really keeping keeping the game coverage fresh. Uh, right now, we, we didn't talk about this on the show, so this is a good this is a good place to check it out. Um, Chris wrote an a article that came out today, I think, about the uh, Gold Cup quarterfinals coming to Q2 Stadium. And then uh, also the semis will be played in the state of Texas. So if you want to know everything that's going on related to the gold cup in the state of Texas, check out Chris's article. Absolutely. All right. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We will back. We will be back in one week with a new episode of moon tower soccer, where we will review our game against the LA galaxy. And then we'll preview our next game against, is it Nashville? Is that the next one? That is Nashville. Yeah, we'll Nash, preview the game. Uh, Nash Verde. Nash Verde. That, that's the next those, big uh, the next next big travel day. So, uh, if you would like to go to Nashville, reach out to your your uh, supporters group of choice, and they will be able to point you in the right direction and get you some tickets. But I think there's going to be another pretty big group going, so that should be fun to watch either in person or on TV if you have to stay at home, like us too. All right, uh, we will be back in one week. Until then, I'm Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. No one is around.